You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Eliana Pipes, welcome to Talking Theater Friends. I'm so happy and glad that you're joining us. To get started, can you tell our viewers and our listeners what DreamHouse is all about? Sure. So Dreamhouse follows two Latina sisters who inherit their family home after their mother passes away, and they decide to sell the place on an HGTV-style reality game show. And the show takes kind of a surreal left turn. The house that they're trying to sell is in sort of a changing, gentrifying neighborhood. And so the play is asking these questions about sort of like selling culture and the interaction between culture and capitalism, and if cashing in is the same as selling out. Don't murder me, but I love your play, but I also really loved Encanto. And I couldn't help but wonder what is it about Latinas and Latino families and generational curses. And also this really beautiful, pretend toxic attachment that we have to properties sometimes. Oh, I, I wonder too. <laughs> I think that's a really great question. And, you know, I think so much of the narrative of Latinidad across the diaspora has to do with colonization. And I think very often we, we think about that story of colonization as land and especially sort of like men and guns and land. And I think that part of what's interesting about that story is that we are interrogating colonialism with women and culture and also land. But, but I do think that, you know, especially in conversations with the creative team, that attachment to land and to owning property feels so deeply embedded as part of our value system. Like that's the dream. I think it's so attached to that American dream thing. It's like even, you know, like I grew up, I'm currently in my home country, I'm in Honduras, and this is where I grew up. And even I was thinking when I was watching the play, I kept thinking how, for instance, right now my mom and my siblings live in a house that's been in the family since 1899. Wow. And, I, and I've always, you know, like since I was the one who left and I was the one who went to the States and like who just hanging out here for a while because the pandemic's too scary in the States. Um, I, I'm, I'm always the one who's like, let's sell the house, right? Like, let's sell it. Like, it's just a piece of land. And then every time I'm there, I'm like, oh, this is the corner where like, I used to hang out with my grandma. And this is the corner where this and that happened. And it was like, watching Dreamhouse was like watching my story in a way. I, don't, I really don't know where I'm going with this question. I guess I'm just thankful that you put that really specific experience on the stage, but what I but I, but I just what I want to ask you is, you write the play 
And then the house itself is definitely a character and it's so specific. So what was it like working with the production designer and the art people to get the house right? I love that you said that. I'm so glad to hear that it felt like the house was another character in the play because that's so how it feels for me. I really agree. And I guess I won't spoil anything in the play, but the house really transforms over the course of the show. It's, you know, a play about a home renovation. And so we start with something that really feels like a lived in family home. And then in the span of five pages, it's completely flipped over and then it's flipped over again and it bursts open and all this stuff happens. And I think so many things about the play clicked once we were finally able to see it with all of those elements in place. Stephanie Osen-Cohen, our scenic designer, is brilliant and put together a way that the house could sort of seamlessly transform that was so sort of eerie. And I think one thing that really surprised me was how scary it felt. Um, the stage direction in the play, or mm, I guess that'll give something away, but there's, there's a moment where the stage direction says that it looks like the house is bleeding. And in execution, it, it really, really does feel that way. And there's something so haunting about watching that house that felt so familiar at the beginning suddenly become so strange and alien and unfamiliar. Oof. I immediately recognized, you know, the Virgen is, there's a Virgen de Guadalupe like on the wall, but there's also some other virgins. And it's really funny because like, I'm not necessarily the most religious person, but growing up, you know, I'm Latino and growing up, I was surrounded by saints and like images of like Jesus hanging from the cross and all these things. And I got to a point where in New York, in my apartment in Brooklyn, I didn't even consciously do this uh, or realize this, but there was a statue or an image of the Virgin Mary in every room in my apartment to the point where people started calling it like Casa de las Virgenes. <laughs> So I wonder if if you have found things like that in your life where you're suddenly like, why am I being like my primas and like my tia and like my grandma? Oh my gosh, that's so sweet. I love that. Oh, I, I think it's so wonderful that you bring that up because the altar space was actually sort of something that came into the world of the play because of the design. There was that little sort of like cutout area because we wanted... Um, sort of like because of technical needs of the play it was it was helpful to have a little place that was you know like sort of like a, a spot that we could hit again and again um and then when we were sort of styling the space the idea came to turn it into sort of an altar and to add all of those merry images and we have like the guadalupe and then there's like uh, virgen de regla and like we, we sort of cherry picked all of our favorite merry images to put in that space and then it's actually turned into like a big spine of the play and, and it's showed up in the end in a way that I didn't expect. So that was a huge moment where the design sort of really informed the piece. It's funny, I actually don't have much of a religious background. It's, it's so interesting that it's ended up becoming sort of such a spine of the play. I'm black, white and Puerto Rican. Uh, and so like I come from a blended household and we just didn't, we just kind of skipped that part. And so when the altar first came in, I was sort of worried like, ooh, like, I don't know that I know what I'm doing with this symbolism, but you know, everything that's really come out of the design team and, and conversations with the actors has made me really excited about the direction that the play is taking with those symbols, especially because yeah, so many people do see that and immediately recognize like home or like grandma's house. And, and it does carry a different kind of weight for people in the audience who do have that connection. It was also so interesting because on like almost like a meta level, I would say the play itself is kind of like an altar to women 
and to sisters and to mothers as well. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Love that. Oh my gosh, I love anything meta. The play is very meta. You know, as a show that takes place on a TV show, there's this sort of like constant referencing of the sisters being watched and what it means for them to be, you know, making the decisions they're making about, about presenting themselves in this public way and what they're willing to sell and not willing to sell depending on who's watching and who's around them. Um, and I do think that sisterhood piece feels so important to me. Like I mentioned, you know, I think we're really used to getting the story of colonialism told as men with guns and I really wanted to tell it with women and culture. And I think that, you know, it's funny, we've gotten a lot of questions and talkbacks like, why aren't there any men? <laughs> Which is always so funny to me, like, oh, where will men find a play to be in? But I do think that, I do think that there's something about sisterhood and about making space for our sisters that the play is really interested in. You know, they've just lost their mother and one of the sisters is pregnant and she's sort of trying to figure out how to be a mother without her mother. And yeah, just sort of like focusing on the way that those women mend those wounds is something that I was really, you know, fascinated by. I'm really close to my mom. A lot of this play I feel like is me and my mom. I actually don't have siblings, but I feel like a lot of this play is me and my best friend. Um, and those sort of like bonds between women that I feel like, you know, there's an intimacy that we don't always get to see on stage with women, that whole Bechdel test thing. And part of the play is that these sisters are able to snap into this space. On the page, it's called sister space. But when they snap into sister space, everything around them freezes and it's like the world stops. And that's a feeling that I've had so many people come up to me and say like, oh my God, I have that with my sister. I didn't know that you could catch that. And I think that that intimacy between women and all the things that can bubble out of that intimacy between women is something I was really excited by. Right, because you can totally feel that there's, you know, like a, an unspoken even language, like a way in which Patricia and Julia communicate, which isn't even dialogue, but you can totally see it, especially with the actors that are playing them. And now I have to wonder, did your mom and your best friend go, Eliana, why did you put that in the play? That's me, that's us. Like, how dare you? People are going to know. <laughs> they were more okay with it. What's funny is I feel like both sisters are really me. And honestly, Tessa is me. Like, I'm the evil person pulling all the strings of the play and putting them through this as characters. You know, I, I do feel like, you know, each of the sisters are sort of divided in their perspective. One of them is really focused on ambition and the future and, you know, these sort of conventional American capitalist ideals of progress. And the other one is really romantic, like capital R romantic and, and sentimental and involved with the past. And, and she feels like digging into their historical culture and heritage will save them. And I feel both of those impulses too. And I feel like I've sort of been so lucky to, to learn and to grow as a person from developing this play and challenging both sets of those ideals. I also could have about that, you know, like I'm not really like an HGTV kind of person. Like obviously people can like what they're like, but the one thing that I've always, like I'm not really like into anything that's TV that's not fiction, like I'm, not into like reality stuff at all. However, one of the things that I'll always make an exception for, and I've done it since I was a kid, I love home renovation like shows and like shows like the one in, in the play. And I wonder, you know, was there uh, like a dream house? Cause you've spoken about how the play, the seat of the play was kind of leaving your childhood home. And, and I wonder if, you know, when you were a little kid, what was your dream house like? Did it have like uh, roller coasters and like pools everywhere? 
Oh my gosh. My dream house as a child absolutely had roller coasters and pools. <laughs> I do think that I, I come from an HGTV family. Like we watch House Hunters, we watch House Hunters International. We watch Love It and Love It or Leave It or Love It and List It. Like, like we are very in touch with the sort of like HGTV thing. And I do think that there is an appeal to home makeover shows and you know, the same reason it's compelling to me in the play, something about watching a space get transformed and a space that's a home, you know, like somebody's going to live their whole life in that new version of that space. And it feels like there's so much potential and also so much loss when you change something in a home. Oh, gosh. And yeah, to your point, um, a lot of the inspiration behind the play came from watching the way that my hometown was gentrifying when I was growing up. I grew up in a little pocket of Los Angeles that was really transforming when I was a little kid. But as a kid, I didn't really have the language to understand what was happening. And when I was 13, my family sold our house. We moved, which on one hand was great because it meant that we had access to so many things we didn't have access to before. We had a different kind of financial stability that made a huge difference for my family. And we left that neighborhood. And that meant having kind of a cultural loss that I didn't understand at the time. We participated in that gentrification in a way. And what a privileged position to be able to have the house to sell, right? Like it was, it was really complicated. And so as I sort of grew up and I learned all these big fancy words about gentrification and arts-led gentrification and, and displacement and, and what all of those, you know, what, what all of those dynamics that I experienced meant in a broader political context that was one of the things that really brought me towards writing the play. Um, and so, yeah, like thinking about what my dream house was then, it's so different now. Like now I feel like actually my, my desires are so much more modest. I would be so happy for like a nice little quaint something. <laughs> Piece of dirt to call my own. I totally hear you. I wonder, you know, like one of the things that I would do, uh, so I left, it's not very common uh, from where I'm from to leave your home unless you're like, married I guess uh and and I left when I was 18 and then I didn't basically come back for another 18 years and something that I would do at night sometimes is that I would try to imagine myself landing in the airport in my hometown and trying to remember if I would know how to get back to my childhood home if I would remember where to turn and the roads and all of that I wonder if you have that or something similar, you know, when you're in your old neighborhood in LA and you're like, was this where the house was? Yeah, oh my gosh, I, that's so beautiful. I love that you say that. And it's so heartbreaking because I've racked my brain trying to figure out the shape of the house and like, what was the hallway that you turned down to to get to my room? I remember my window was broken. We had a bougainvillea in the backyard that just like overgrew so much that it cracked through my window. So it was like taped together for all my life. And I was like, where was that tree? Like trying to put it all together. And I just can't remember anymore. It was so long ago and so sort of far away that I've lost it. My mother, <laughs> my mother is a hero. She had the floor plan. So she just sent me the floor plan and that jogged my memory a bit. But, but that, that sort of tactile, like in my heart and my bones remembering what that house was like, I don't have anymore. Do you feel that as a, as a, as a writer, you know, cause you write screenplays and plays, and I guess as an artist in general, do you feel like being able to write about those things in a way helps you like, keep them safe? I do think so. I mean, I think there's, you know, I mentioned that one of the impulses behind the play was you know, what was happening to my neighborhood when I was a kid. I think the other impulse behind the play was moving into the professional world of playwriting. 
and feeling as a writer of color, like there was this market where, you know, as like a black, white and Puerto Rican writer, I was interested in writing black and Latina characters, especially black and Latina women for audiences or for theaters that weren't always getting those populations in the audience. And so it sort of felt like I was being asked to sell my cultural pain for money and I wanted the money and I wanted to be in those spaces and I wanted to have that access and be the big name on the marquee. And that sort of grappling with ambition and with what it means to be an artist and to have your work in these spaces, I think is another huge sort of underpinning of the play. You know, all, all of the stuff about the gaze that the TV show puts on the sisters, that's the sort of gaze that I feel on myself. And one of the things that I love about your arts criticism and the way that you sort of talk about the the dual responsibilities that you have to artists and to institutions and to patrons and to, you know, what it means to have influence and to want influence. I think that putting all of those feelings into the play helps, helps me to keep those memories safe in a way. And it also, I think, keeps me accountable or, or reminds me how important it is to do that interrogation for myself and to be responsible for the space that I've taken up. In, in so many ways, the life of a theater maker is almost like a nomad's life. And I wonder if the idea then maybe, if, you know, like you said that you wanted like a little place somewhere, but is the idea of a home something that you yearn or something that you think you'll find or maybe something that you've already found in, in theater? I mean, I am obsessed with home ownership. Like I have, it's that idea of a home in a literal sense, I'm so in love with and so fascinated by. And I do think that in the theater, you're right, that especially as, you know, if, if I was an AD, I would have a home. But, but as a playwright, you're sort of like in the wind a little bit and moving around. And there is something fascinating about having a home that's temporary and, and that's transient and the, knowing that the play will have homes in different locations. This production is a rolling world premiere, which is incredible. And I'm so thankful we started at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta. Now we're at Long Wharf Theater in New Haven, Connecticut. And next we're heading to Baltimore Center Stage. And this stop in particular at Long Wharf is interesting because Long Wharf just announced that they're moving to itinerancy. Their theater space has been rented and they're choosing not to renew the lease and sort of moving into a community. And it's fascinating doing this play at a theater that's, that's sort of leaving its home base. And what that means for, for our team and, and for the folks here who are in that process of being so excited about, you know, this incredible next step and the innovation and the bravery, I think, behind making a move like that. And I think there's also a little bit of grief about leaving a place that has been their place. You know, I think there's, it's, it's so hard, especially after this pandemic moment where people's attachments to home have really changed and also where wealth stratification has led to mass evictions and people's attachments to home have changed in ways that they don't want to change. I mean, it's so complicated and so heavy, but I do think that there's something really tempting about the idea of feeling at home in the theater and having a home in the theater for this play, especially. Will the new tenants, when that place, when that space is rented, find like a little like Ileana of us here in some little corner somewhere? <laughs> I'll scratch it into a desk or something. <laughs> I think they will. I think they will. I'll leave a little something somewhere. Something that I found so funny and so beautiful about the play was this conversation that the, the sisters have about the ways in which their names are pronounced. And there's a point where one of them like, okay, so 
are you Patricia or are you Patricia? And I was like, I always had the dialogue with myself, like who was I when I was Jose, like with like my Latino friends and family. And when I was Jose, like Jose Cuervo, you know what I mean? So first of all, I want to ask you, what's the strangest way that your name has been mispronounced? And also how do you deal with, you know, Eliana and whoever, what other names people give you? Oh my goodness, by far the strangest one has been Eliana Peeps, which has haunted me for some reason. My high school drama teacher, like on my last day, called me Eliana Peeps after correctly pronouncing my name for a year. For some reason, that was just what jumped out of her body. When I graduated from college, I like typed out the phonetic spelling of my name and somehow still got Eliana Peeps. Several times I have gotten Eliana Peeps. So definitely that would I that would be the most egregious one. It's funny because it doesn't happen very often. I my last name Pipes is Pipes like as in bagpipes from my like what from the Scottish side of my white dad's family. And so when people see me, they it <laughs> what always happens is like when I'm booking an appointment on the phone. They're like, wonderful, Miss Pipes. We'll see you for your dental cleaning at 2 p.m. on Tuesday. And then I get into the office and it's like, hola, Senorita Pipes, wonderful to see you. That's the hairpin turn. And I have to explain like, no, no, pipes as in copper pipes, pipes as in bagpipes, white dad. <laughs> I mean, Senorita Pipes is totally like a name that you can take if you want to be like incognito somewhere, right? Like, no one knows where I am. And you spoke about, you know, you said the keyword haunted by the names, right? And I'm sorry if this is like a really strange question, but something that I've realized is that my dreams, like my actual dreams will change depending on the house that I'm in. And especially when I go to like my parents' home, like I'll have like the strangest dreams. I'll leave it at that. I wonder if you have that, like do your dreams change depending on where you're staying? Oh, that's so cool. I haven't noticed that, but now I'm going to be on the lookout for it. That's incredible. Like the power of intuition and ooh. I love that the play, again, like I don't want to spoil it. Like people should go see it uh, when they can, like if they can. No, they should definitely go. Like not if they can, they should go. Uh, I love that there's like a supernatural element attached without it being like a really, again, like I don't want to spoil it. So let's just talk about the concept of haunting and what does a haunted place mean to you? Hmm. Ooh. Ooh. I think the concept of haunting to me sort of ties into that colonial piece again, like the idea that there are horrors on the land that stay even past, you know, the time that they took place. And I do think that there, you know, the play has a lot of surrealism. And it kind of sneaks up on you. I think it, at the beginning, there are things that are wacky or surprising or funny. And, and it it's clear that we're in sort of a lifted place, but then the play really sort of takes off after a certain point. And I think that a lot of that surrealism is, you know, like in the sort of like long held traditions of sort of like magical realism and Latinidad and Afro surrealism and futurism. I, I think that there is something that a lot of artists of color face where it feels like you have to bend the medium in order to express yourself within it. Like because so many of these structures and naturalism especially are so rooted in, in 
you know, really traditional theater values that in order to step into the theater, you have to break it. <laughs> and I think that a lot of that thrill of surrealism for me is, is finding a way to sort of like express the truth of what something feels like beyond what it naturalistically would look like. I think there are a lot of ways to tell the truth outside of naturalism and to hit on the real experience of being within one of those structures sort of without playing it straight. And at the same time, there's also like the other side of that, I would say, which is like, once people figure out probably that you're Latina, they want to use telenovela and spicy and magical realism for anything that you do. So how is it as a, as a human being and as an artist that you're able to balance that without just like punching people? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I do think that there's, I, I think you're so right that there is a sort of expectation of a certain kind of writing and of a certain kind of surrealism. Um, now I'm trying not to spoil anything, but there's 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 a moment in the play where you wonder if there's going to be like a literal ghost or, or where there's a sort of invitation of supernaturalism that doesn't come. And I got a lot of pushback on that moment. And, and you know, I think that there is this idea of like, oh yes, it's a Latino play. Guitars will play and the moonlight will shine down and all of the ghosts will dance out of the walls with us. And I also will say that I've seen those plays and I've been very moved by them. Like, I do think that there's a real place for that. And I think that sometimes that's the sort of capital R romanticism that glosses over some of the harder realities around the fact that you know, there are some things in the past that we can't reach. And, you know, sometimes no ancestors are coming to save us. And it's interesting because I know that, you know, even in our creative team, we've had a lot of conversations around this. I personally come from a household that doesn't do a lot of ancestor talk. We are sort of like living in the present, but that whole sort of like world isn't something that we really engage with. And a lot of folks on the creative team have felt very differently about it. And what's been so beautiful is that just like those sisters were having that process of saying, you know, here's what I believe, here's what you believe. How can I make space for you? How can I make space for you in the end of this play and, and, and in the final moments? And how can we find a resolution for our characters that's not betraying any of these things that we both believe in, but that's sort of like prioritizing what's really important beyond sort of a sentimental value system and beyond a capitalistic value system. So in addition to being a playwright, you're a filmmaker and so much about the way in which we as audience members relate to theater has changed because of the pandemic. For instance, I was able to watch the play uh, because it was streamed and I was like, that's so beautiful and that's so exciting. So imagining, you know, like looking back at two years ago when Ileana, the playwright, assumed that once the plays were out in the world, the only time that people would be able to see them was on stage and then they were gone. How is that Ileana, I don't know, like dealing with the other, you know, like Ileana the filmmaker who does things knowing that they will be preserved for all of eternity. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting moment in the theater with, with streaming and with digital theater and, and the way that we've all adapted to a different mode of consuming things over the course of the pandemic. The first play that I saw in theaters is was mine. Like I was so used to taking in plays virtually and, and you know, like logging into Zoom readings and like watching things at home. And it, it did feel so different for me. And the play landed really differently in my heart when we watched it with an audience for the first time. 
And what's fascinating too is, is so much of the script has changed since that last run. And so already the play is a different version than what you saw before. And we also, I mean, the, the biggest difference is that we have a new actor, our Patricia from the last performance booked a very thrilling opportunity. So she wasn't able to join us for these next two legs. So we have a new actor coming in and already the alchemy of the show is so different when we have a different pair of sisters. And so, it's, it's fascinating because on one hand, I have a sort of strong archival impulse. I love knowing that there's a record of the show. And it's also wild that that's not the show anymore. Like it's already transformed and there's sort of like a, a fossil of what that version used to be. Oh, that's so fascinating. And you already mentioned that it's a rolling world premiere. That's also so exciting. Like, I love that that's happening. So what's it like then to take your baby, so to speak, on like a tour of different places? Like, are you looking forward to the ways in which each local audience will react to the play? And so far, how have audiences in Georgia and at Long Wharf have changed? Are they different at all from your uh, perception? Yeah, I am so interested too. We haven't had our first audience quite yet. So I don't, I'm, I'm so interested to see what the differences will be because there were things, you know, especially one thing that's so thrilling about this play and also so heartbreaking about this play is that every city has a relationship to gentrification. So in Atlanta, there was a neighborhood that, you know, we have like a lot we display about it and, and everyone who was coming had that same reference point and that same touch point. And so there were things that hit in the script because they connected to that neighborhood for them. And I don't know sort of like how, how that will translate to New Haven and how the different audience here will accept that differently. And, you know, going back to the point about Longworth's space, knowing that audiences are also people who have a relationship to this space coming to watch this play about a home, I think that might be really different. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to see what, registers differently with audiences here and in each place. I really agree that a Rolling World premiere is incredible. I just think it's such a tremendous gift to the artist and to the creative team. I've already learned so much about this play and, and having the opportunity to revise between stops is just such a gift. It's, it's so thrilling to be able to really make the play better every place we take it. As a film lover and as a theater lover, Ileana, what are your favorite movie and theater houses? Ooh. Oh man. Oh man. Oh, I don't know that I can answer that. I'm like scrolling in my head through every single play I've ever seen. I don't know. Oh no, I'm just blanking. Maybe you're just like renovating them as you scroll through them. You're like, maybe I would add like a pool to the house in Long Day's journey. Maybe I would add like, I don't know, like, uh, <laughs> I would paint the psycho house a different color. <laughs> a pool definitely would have solved all the problems in that family. Ooh. Oh, I'm sorry. I wish I had something concrete. The thing that's coming to mind right now is I saw Blythe Spirit at the Taper or at the Kirk Douglas, or at the Taper, at one of them. and they had this incredible rig when the set fell down at the end that just like rushed into my mind when you mentioned that in film oh there's just so many i wish oh what's the one oh it's flying out of my head the noir with the woman and she used to be famous and she's not and she has max 
Who's her Sunset Boulevard, maybe? Sunset Boulevard, yeah. But and that has definitely has a pool. That house sure does have a pool. That's a tremendous house. That came to mind for me. Oh, I wish in three days the perfect answer will come to me, and I'll and I'll write you an email. I'm looking forward to knowing that. So uh, just to wrap up, and I hope again this isn't too like metaphysical question, but what would you say that the theater needs in order to feel more like a home? for young artists and artists of color and women and queer artists? Oh my goodness, I love that question. I think, hmm, I think that to make the theater feel more like a home for those audience members, inviting those artists in is the best way. You know, to, to, to make clear that women and people of color and queer people are welcome in your space, you put those populations on the stage and people come to theater because they see themselves. People come to theater because they crave to see themselves. And I also think that, you know, the subscriber base that we're used to in the American theater is more resilient than we give them credit for. There have been a lot of, you know, subscriber audience members who who've really responded to the play and who found resonance. And I do think that ultimately all of these, you know, ultimately a play about any population is telling a universal story through a specific, through a culturally specific lens. I know the Dreamhouse is interested in telling a universal story through a culturally specific lens. And I think that seeing yourself on stage makes the theater feel like home. And I also think that, you know, the sort of climate in the American theater where plays, where new plays or plays by new, by emerging artists or plays by marginalized artists feel risky is working against everything that we're saying we want the theater to be. It's risky to program old stale plays that we've seen a thousand times that aren't exciting. The best thing you can do for yourself is to put up a thrilling new play that we get to discover. I don't know, in my, in my feeling, I think that welcoming you know, welcoming plays that showcase and celebrate those experiences is the best way to get those people in the audience and in the theater and in the medium that we all love so much. So yeah, thank you for putting so many of us in your dream house. Like I love the play and congratulations, it was just beautiful. Can you remind our viewers and our listeners where dream house is going, where they can find it, where they can find Meet Me at the Clinic, where they can find everything about Ileana, not peeps, but pipes. Thank you. Yes. After the Dreamhouse is about to open in New Haven, Connecticut at Long Wharf Theater. From there, we're moving to Baltimore Center Stage in Baltimore, Maryland. And yeah, you can find more about me on www.elianapipes.com. You can also try www.elianapeeps.com. Either one will get you to me. <laughs> and all my sort of information and new news is always up there. Thank you so much, Eliana. So uh, break a leg. I hope to talk to you very soon. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.